Every pope that comes along offers some new insight and a fresh application of the Holy Spirit for our church. One of the things that uh, Pope Francis has probably tried to teach all of us is that the church is immersed in the world. It's a hospital, he calls it, for sinners. It's not a pedestal for the ambitious or the self-righteous. In other words, the church in every level from all of us here today to the highest levels are called to bring the presence of Christ right into the world all around us, to change the world, to bring people around us and especially our families and friends, to bring them into a closer relationship of the healing presence of God. Well, the first reading today from Isaiah and the gospel have a common theme that God always provides a stability. God always provides a focus. God always provides and challenges each one of us in every generation from beginning till end to grow in our appreciation of building up the kingdom of God. In the first reading, Hezekiah was the king, and he was a good king compared to many of the Old Testament kings. Hezekiah was a good king, but the politics in Hezekiah's kingdom were clearly off kilter. His right-hand man, the prime minister, you would call him maybe your chief of staff, his right-hand man was not an honest person. In fact, had a tremendous ego that he was only in his position as assistant to the king for his own benefit, to make himself rich, to make himself have more and more power. He was power hungry. <laughs> One of the symbols of that about uh, Hebna, Shebna, was the fact that only the king was to have a big tomb in which to be buried. Shebna built himself one. He wanted to be better than everyone else and to be remembered by everyone else. It was his pride and his ego and his thinking that he could depend on his own power and his own prestige and the political intrigue that could get him whatever he wanted. Well, a few things happened. The kingdom started to kind of fray a little bit and uh, become very divided. And uh, Shebna even went so far as to not depend upon God. That was the most important thing. He did not depend upon God, but on his own conniving and power. And uh, he started to direct the country into alliances with pagan countries around ignoring their strong relationship with God. Well, like I said, Hezekiah was a good king, and he fired Shebna, and he appointed another person in his place called Eliachim. Eliachim had a servant heart, 
He was dedicated to the people and to the kingdom, keeping it strong and centered on the presence of, of the, the God their father, rather than his own ambition. Isaiah, in the prophecy, spoke very, very highly of Eliachim, very highly, because he was a man after God's own heart. He was really, in the scriptures, you can sometimes refer to a, a person who is an example from long ago that is really kind of a prefigures Jesus Christ himself. Well, that um, introduces us, I guess, to the gospel passage today. There on the outskirts, Jesus and his disciples of the great town of Caesarea Philippi. And it was a prosperous city. It was a port city. And there was great commerce uh, through Caesarea Philippi. And not only goods and trade and all of that, but there was also uh, ideas, thinkers and philosophers traveled through that territory. Well, Jesus and his disciples are someplace close by, and he's asking his disciples, in there, what are they saying? What's in their talk? What, is they, what have they noticed about me and about us? Have they drawn any conclusions by the things I have said or you have said or the things we have done? Who do they say that I am? What a question that is. Well, the disciples said, well, some think John Baptist has come back to life or Elijah or one of the prophets, or at least the fact that you're a holy man and you're getting a reputation. But that didn't satisfy Jesus. He wanted to know, if he was kind of checking up on things, are they finally getting the point? Is it getting across to people the message of the kingdom of God that I have brought. So he thought the only way he could handle that question was he looked right them right in the eye. Who do you say that I am? Peter, in a moment of uh, remarkable, remarkable insight for a, a, for a fisherman, he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, I don't think Peter really understood what he was saying. He wouldn't have gone on to live the kind of life that he did in the few months that followed. But nonetheless, this moment of insight introduced Peter and the others around him to an experience that would change their lives. Jesus gave him a new name. I think that's significant. He said, you are Peter. You're no longer Simon, son of Jonah. You are Peter at Cephas. You're the rock. But I don't think Jesus was just talking to Peter. There was a few other rocks standing by, just like there are a number of rocks present in our church here this morning. He had given Peter that new name, which was a new responsibility, just like Hezekiah removed Shebna from office and and introduce the country to Eliakim. So Peter, why Peter? Well, Peter was a nobody. He was uh, uneducated. 
He knew enough math to count the fish that he caught and to make the right amount of money from his catch. Uh, he was brash. He was uh, insignificant in terms of importance in the world, that fisherman. But what's important is that he was appointed by God to be the chief shepherd, the leader, the shepherd and guide to all his faithful ones, God's faithful ones. He was the rock. He was the one upon which God, along with the other rocks standing there with him, that would build his church. What these readings are getting around to try and challenge us with is this. It's not the mighty and the powerful. It's not the proud and the haughty. It's not the ambitious uh, and those who wish to lord it over everyone else. It's the humble. It's the quiet ones. It's, it's the, the, the little ones that are important in terms of the kingdom of God. Those who had the humility and the desire and, and trying to describe you, okay? The, human, the knowledge and the desire and the willingness to serve and love God wholeheartedly, not for your own glory and benefits, but for the glory of God and the glory of the kingdom. I learned this long time ago, over 50 years ago, when I was in the seminary. And I had been exposed to a couple of very powerful bishops, not the big cardinal of New York or of Los Angeles, but a simple bishop in uh, New Orleans, Minnesota, Bishop Sledweiler. He was so humble. I think he was probably a farm boy at heart, but there was a seminarian from the Twin Cities that uh, was struggling. Bishop Sledweiler asked the kid, come and live with me. Come and be a part of the New Alm Diocese. He nurtured him. He cared for him. He supported the young man. It was a powerful thing when Larry, Larry was the reader at my first mass. That's why it's always important to me. Why Larry, uh, when he was finally ordained, he went back to the Twin Cities to offer his first mass with his family in his home parish. And after the weekend was all over, he traveled back to New Ulm. And along the way, there was this terrible accident, car accident. Larry stopped, pulled over to the side to see if he could help. And there was a crazy, crazy semi-driver barreling through. And the semi had such power and force that it hit Larry. And he was killed on the spot just hours after his first mass. Bishop Sledweiler's uh, homily was unbelievable. He was a father to the young priest. There was another bishop, Bishop Topol. He was from Spokane, Washington. And in those days, lots of bishops were building big mansions, or they were renovating their mansions and putting in unbelievable tile, golden uh, bathrooms, etc. But Bishop Topol, when he became the Bishop of Spokane, he sold the Bishop's palace, the Bishop's residence. He bought a little house 
unlike some of the little houses in our community, a very little house. Um, he lived in it by himself. He didn't have servants. He planted a garden in the back and raised his own food. And uh, he relied upon his neighbors, the neighborhood. They brought him food. They brought him bread and they brought him other kinds of things. But totally humble and totally present to the Christian community around him. Another bishop that I got to know in those days was the Bishop of Des Moines, Bishop Dingman. Maybe some of you have knew him or have heard of him. The thing that just overwhelmed me in terms of my respect for him, it was uh, more than once a month, Bishop Dingman would go down to the Polk County Jail and would spend the night in jail with the prisoners. Staying up late, talking, listening, being with them. What a powerful example of the ones who are really called to be leaders of the faith community. Now, these are the important big people, okay? But they are humble and people with a servant heart. What's it mean for you and for me? as rocks of the church, as the ones who are meant to build up the kingdom of God with the person you're sitting next to, with the family you will be with the rest of the weekend, with the neighborhood that is around you. What, is our, what are our responsibilities? Just like Eliachim of the Old Testament, humbly serving the good of the people of God. And like Peter, the big rock, and all the other rocks there outside the city of Caesarea Philippi, who could answer the question that Jesus asked them. So it comes down to that question for us, my friends. Who do we say that he is? And by our answer to that question, are we the ones the rocks upon which the Holy Spirit in Jesus himself will build the community of God, build the hospital for sinners, not being on some kind of pedestal or better than everybody else, but being a neighbor, a neighbor that lifts up all who come into our lives.